Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here we go. How about another brand new edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez for Monday, March 7th. The Flyers will be back tomorrow to wrap up a franchise-long eight-game homestand. They'll do so against the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll preview that game in tomorrow's episode. But in this episode, it's Monday, two weeks from the NHL trade deadline. A lot to talk about with the week that was, the week that will be, and much more. He joins us every Monday. You can read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. For his Monday visit, it's Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. How about you? It's weird, like with this weather that we had on Sunday, and we're going to have, we're taping on Sunday, by the way, people, um, the magic of podcasting. And Monday, even warmer. Uh, it just gives you that feel of like playoff winter sports. It does. <laughs> it does. Uh, you know, the only feel we're going to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, this is, this is the time, uh, other years, you get excited for the stretch drive. You get to, you know, start looking forward to baseball season and, well, not going to be this year. So Yeah. I mean, regular season won't even be able to the 29th of April. Baseball is on ice. Pardon the pun. Um, but anyway, um, a lot to get to here to, in this episode, Bill. First of all, uh, on yesterday's episode, or Saturday's episode, I should say, uh, I was really kind of relishing the matinee game. Are you a big fan of the matinee? I enjoy them. Me too. I, I do. I enjoy them. You know, it's, uh, you know... And I mean, for whatever reason, they often seem to be either bizarre games or, you know, entertain. Just it, I don't know. It, it just often seems to work out that way. So I I, I do enjoy them, and you know, and and the, for those of us who've done the the late nights at the arena, you know, it, yeah. it's nice to be back for dinner time. So yeah, that, that's one of the parts of it too. You know, you're done early um, from a work standpoint, but the thing yeah. is, for me, it's you know, there's so many games that start at seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock especially yeah. for, you know, you East Coast other games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can catch other games. And, you know, just having something different like that. Like, I like the West Coast game for a night, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. because it's really late night uh, to, for a lot of people. And if it's on a, you know, a Thursday night and you don't have off Friday, it's tough to be up till one o'clock in the morning and expect to turn around and go to work the next day or school, whatever it is. But the, the afternoon game, to me, it just, it feels big and, it's just a different feel to it. And I think to your point, Bill, about, you know, there's oftentimes, you know, hockey players are creatures of habit. So when yeah. you take them out of their rhythm of, you know, maybe morning skate, nap, coffee, bus ride to the rink or drive to the rink game. I think when you disrupt that a little bit, you get a little agit They get a little agitated. <laughs> and that <laughs> lends to some pretty entertaining hockey, because I thought that that's what the game against the Blackhawks was. Yeah, I, I, I think that that. Uh... You know, I probably had something to do with it. You know, and I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think that the uh, players pay attention to, you know, the, uh, the number of years it's been since, you know, Chicago won a regular season game in Philly, but it's, it's a nice little sub story to it. And, you know, uh, you know, regardless of what the teams were in the standings, it was a nationally televised game. So it had a, you know, it had, it had a big game feel to it, even if it was a game between two teams that are, that are out of the race just that it was you know the the building was pretty full for it so it was you know it was it was nice it was you know a, a little you know not i guess a little bit like the washington game too that had that kind of bigger game feel to it as well and i, I do think there's something that, that lends to it you know and yeah. uh, you know so it's uh I, I i enjoy those i particularly because you don't really get them before the second half of the season 
Yeah. So it, it's it's uh, you know it's kind of part and parcel of things we were talking about too, where the weather's getting a little warmer and all the rest of that. Yeah, and if there's you know that certain element to it that is you know just feels bigger, and it, it oftentimes you know you get some younger fans there, which I think is yeah. always good. And because that helps grow the game and, and all those elements as well. Let, let's talk about the game real quick, though, because take out of the equation that neither team's ticketed for a playoff spot and neither team is in the, the best place or the health of the franchise from a hockey standpoint right now. We know what's going on in Chicago off the ice as well and, and, and what they've gone through. We need to rehash that. But, you know, if you just kind of put those things aside for a second, for the, the 60 minutes that was played as a hockey game, that was probably the most entertaining game of the year, and you liked that the outcome was a win. Oh, for sure. It was, you know, it was kind of a throwback game. Yeah. It was a very physical game. By today's standards, it was a particularly feisty game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, they're, they're not the games that grew up with the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s. But by today's standards, that, that was a pretty, you know, pretty emotional game. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, you know, you <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously, you know, obviously you don't ever want to see a, a player hurt in a game. And that that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of the uh, the powder keg that continued things in that third period. But I mean, but, but you, you like to see, you know, you like to see a little a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of nastiness between between two teams. I, you know, you see, you see, you, know, you see in the, in the playoffs, you know, I, I think one of my one of the things in the regular season is you don't have the same amount of nastiness that you would have. You know, I mean, it's just there, there was just something about, particularly, I guess, particularly in Philly, but really everywhere, right? The, when when there's a when there's a sense of rivalry that the two teams are, the two teams don't like one another. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think it adds a certain. I I think you know, hockey's always has always been an emotional game, and I and you know, I, I enjoy the emotion. So. Yeah, I do as well, and you know, I think that in the sport you need to run hot um, sometimes to be able. You can't do it 82 times a year because yeah, to be able to, sure. to get to that level is difficult. But that was one of those games. And, and maybe it's something, Bill, about March 5th because there was a pretty memorable yeah. game 18 years prior on March 5th, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 that one uh, still is in the NHL record book. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, uh, that, that, that was a crazy game. And that was one that was actually pretty tame until the third period. Of course, there was the backstory to it. But it, it didn't really all explode till till near the end, and it was crazy. By the end, there were actually more players, there were, you know, there were more players on the ice and left on the bench at that point. That was, that was pretty crazy. It was the it, it became like an, an, the end of an NBA game on steroids, and how long it took for everything yeah. to play out. And the weird thing about the game is, like, you almost I almost totally forgot about the result of the game. I mean, it's, it ends up being what a five three game, if I remember. Flyers win that game. Five to three. I mean, I remembered. I remember that the Flyers won the game uh, because they had some the Ottawa gave them so much trouble around yeah. around that that time. They lost to them twice in the playoffs, and you know there was the whole backstory of Havlat. So it was, you know, I, I remember that. You know, I remember they were well on their way to a win, you know, and then and then uh, it just got overshadowed by all the you know all the endless rounds of fights. So it's uh, that was. Uh, you know, that was definitely one of those games you remember where you were, whether you're at the building or watch it on TV or, or, or wherever. So that, that that was one of those games that, uh, you know, when you watch enough games over the years, they kind of blend in your mind a little bit. But that was that was one that, 
that was one that sticks out for you know, however however long you go back to that season. That that's one of those that's one of those games that you'll you know you you definitely remember it. And you had unlikely guys fighting. That was John LeClaire's only fighting major as you know as a flyer, for example. Man, he would have been a handful as well. I'm trying to think who he went with in the game. Do you remember that off the top of your head? Did John I don't, I don't think, fight, yeah. Did he fight Wade Redden? He was Wade Redden. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was, it was two unlikely combatants. You know. Yeah. Um, because wow. you know, Patrick Sharp even... dropped him in the last the last fight of the game, I yeah. think, was Patrick Sharp and Jason Spezza, and Spezza's still in the league. Yeah, that, which is which is absolutely wild. Yeah, Spets is still in the league. That that was one of the fights. I, I don't remember who Rodovan Selmik fought, but he even ended up fighting in that game. Wow, I forgot that he was even on the team. <laughs> that is crazy. I'm trying to. I'm looking it up now. I want to see who Selmik fought in that game. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was just brawl after brawl after brawl in that game, and it was. Some of the names. Uh, Somic fought uh, Chris Neal. Chris Neal. Okay. Yeah. And wow. uh, yeah, I mean, Char-, Char is in that game, by the way. I mean, as an Ottawa senator. Another guy's still active. That's great. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. He, Char actually had a goal on the power play in the game. Flyer goal scorers Claude Lapointe, Mark Recchi, Danny Markov. How about Alexei Jamnov and Kim Janssen? Oh. You got three D goals there. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. The, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you said Markov was one of them. Yeah, Danny Markov. Danny Markov had one. So, I mean, I, I guess his next goal after that was a winning goal in the against uh, the Devils to clinch the first round series. I don't yeah. think he had too many other ones because that wasn't a style of play. So that's yeah, that's kind of an interesting footnote too. Yeah. All right. So we're off. Let's get out of the uh, Flyers Senators yeah. <laughs> rabbit hole from way back when in 2004 uh, and get back to this team. And Bill, I just want I want to go back again. I want to relive something, but only a couple of days prior to now. And that was after the game the other night against the Minnesota Wild. And in that game, I, I thought both teams played pretty sloppy in the game. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of detail. There wasn't a lot of you know, great defensive defense plays. I thought Cam Talbot was off big time. Yeah. And, you know, the Flyers end up losing that game. Let's first talk about Provorov because there's two turnovers in the game. Actually, let's do it in order. Let's start with Broussard's turnover because I watched this one over and over again. And as he's got the puck down about the bottom of the circle on the right side of the Flyers' D zone, there's about seven and a half seconds left when he's got it. And he can easily turn around, throw it behind the net. He's got a player there. He can turn around, pin it against the boards, and eat it, frankly. Just not try and throw it up over the middle. Yeah, you know, a lot of times you're going to get enough on that, and you're going to clear everybody. This time he didn't, and they paid. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's a veteran player, you know. Uh, you, you know, you. I don't know you. You don't expect him to make that kind of a a mental mistake. Yeah, and you can you can live with you can live with physical errors, right? But that 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 falls in the category of of a mental error, and. You know, I mean, it was it was one of many. I mean, the Flyers had many mental errors in the game, and it seemed like quite a few of them ended up in the back of the net. Um, you know, to to Broussard's credit, he went into uh, Mike Yo's office the next morning and said, "I realized I was lousy yesterday, and I probably you know, he promised he'd be a lot better next game, and he did. He delivered on it. So yeah, you know, but that you know at the time, you know, because Broussard is just back in the lineup." Uh, long stretches on injured reserve. He's finally been able to get a few games in, and there really hadn't been a lot of progression. I mean, game you know, game one, you kind of give him mulligan too because player has to get his timing and you know his conditioning back, and 
you hope game two is a little better than, than the second game, and you hope the third is a little better than the second. And to me, the second game was really kind of the same as the first, and then he took a step backwards, actually, from that, you know, in the game after that. So, you know, credit to him for, for taking the accountability. Yep. I, you know, I realized I screwed up, and, I, you know, and, I, and I'll make up for it. And he did. So that, yeah. uh, you know, but, uh, but you know, in, in and of the moment, that's, that's not a play you expect from a veteran player who's, you know, been through, been through some big battles in his career. So that was, you know, so instead of going to the locker room, the lead, you're going in tied. Yeah. And that uh, was, you know, at the time it was one of, one of those things you go, oh, you know, might yeah. be maybe some trouble here. Yeah. And the thing is, is they regain the lead in the game. Yeah. And before Minnesota gets it tied uh, at 4-4 in the third period, Perov had a couple turnovers that they didn't pay for. But then he has one that they do pay for. And, yeah. I mean, we saw this earlier in the year in an empty net goal where he was on the left side at the blue line and threw a puck across to the right side right to an opposition player who eventually scored the game-winning goal. And on this occasion, he's deep in his own zone, down below the hash mark on the left side, and tries a cross-ice pass. First, that's just a tough pass because it's easy to read from that distance, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, it's easy for a player to jump it, but the player didn't even need to jump it. The player was already there. And then they come into the zone, they end up getting the goal, and it ties the game, and then just about 40-some seconds later, they take the lead. They win the game 5-4. And I know that Mike said that he knows he needs to be better. And, you know, Mike talked about, you know, guys being engaged in, in this kind of a sideways season. He kind of talked around it a little bit, but I, I got the sense what he's talking about. Is there a sense that Ivan Provorov is having a bit of a lack of engagement coupled with a crisis of confidence at the same time? I think that um, – I, I think he's a player who's – in his own head to a large degree, you know, um, you know, one way of putting it and it's true, you know, both things can be true is that he puts a lot of pressure on himself. Yep. And I, I think that he looks at where the team is and he, he wants to put the team on his back, but where he's, where he's trying to do that, wanting to do that. And, you know, the, with the team struggling and we, you know, we use this term, I think about a week or so ago, they're trying to hit the five run home run where he's where he's making a play he's making a low a low percentage play that he doesn't have to make it's almost like he's trying to make up for the previous mistake by making the big play and sometimes sometimes it's just the the simple play making the routine play routinely that, that you really need from him you know yeah. and um you know he's one of the guys who won out on the ice right it, you know you, he's he's not a he's not a pairing where you should be holding your breath just to get through that shift and you know, you, you hope that the guilt of the time bomb doesn't go off. Um, you know, uh, one thing that Ivan himself expressed some frustration with is that he doesn't feel that the team is on the same page with one another. Now, you know, you have to communicate, and he has an A, he has an A on his sweater, so he has some responsibility in that too. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think that in terms of him being being confident and making the routine play routinely and just uh you know just being engaged game in and game out where you're playing for the you know whether you're playing for a playoff spot or you're playing for pride or you're playing you know you want to have the same not get too high and not get too low and i i think it, and at the best points in his career for much of his career he's actually been been pretty good at that uh you know in in 20 2019 20 
he ended up having a tremendous year, but there were some downs along the way too. And he, you know, he finished, uh, I remember, I remember in October, he got off to kind of a tough start and he had a great year the rest of the way. You know, it's sometimes, I mean, every player has their, their ups and their downs and the ones who, you know, the, the players who you rely on uh, are the guys who can, can correct that sooner rather than later. So, you know, I, I think there's a number of factors you can point to, but I mean, it comes down to there are, there are certain guys who, particularly with players out of the lineup, you do need that little bit more from. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say that Ivan Prover is, is one of those players. Yeah, absolutely. We had gotten a tweet. You were on it as well. I don't, I don't think that you responded. I did from a guy named Joe Casey. And he said, Provy looks lost out there. No more excuses. He needs to be shopped. If they wanted to give him a quote top D man as a partner, I assume they should have given Rasmus Ristolainen to go with, a go with him. Can't be wasting talent when we can get a good return. And my thing was is first of all, I don't like trading pieces that um, are at their lowest value. And yeah. his value is is I don't think he is is valueless. I think he's got tremendous value, but I think right. that he's more valuable to the Flyers as a um, piece that's moving in the right direction and fixed and back to the the level of play that we were used to and and if he is if he does get back to that then you don't trade him or if you do get to a point where you want to trade him and he's at that value he's got more value in return and i mean the guy said come on uh you know the guy said for me i'm not on flyers daily speak like a fan him and a prospect for chickering and my point in responding to that is that's not what Arizona is looking to do. Why would they trade a lesser paid defenseman, a left guy that right now is playing better and is yeah, a better player we're, right now? Yeah, right? After a brutal start. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah Jake, I mean, it's Arizona, to, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jake got off to a brutal start this year. You know, and also sometimes the, uh, the grass isn't always greener. I mean, he's not a perfect player either. No. And, uh, and, and you know, but the, like, the I mean, point I mean, of it is, that that's not what Arizona's looking to do. No, 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 and that, that, that yeah. that's it too. That, that's yeah. not that's not the kind of deal they're looking to make. Yeah, exactly. You know? They're 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 a uh, you know they're a cap floor team. Yep. You know, I mean, uh, there's just it, there's, there's just not a fit there. And uh, you know, I mean, sometimes people go, well, why don't you trade so and so for so and so? Well, you know, <laughs> does does that work for both sides? You know, you, there's you another look- GM that's not a fool. Well, right. Somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I mean, uh, exactly. So that I mean, that's not a that's not a realistic that's not a realistic trade, you know. And and if you trade them though, you know, you hey, you got to replace those minutes, right? You got you got to replace them on the penalty kill. You got I mean, there's a and there are other th- there are other factors too, where you know because of because of how well conditioned he is, his recovery times are some of the fastest in the league. That's, that's you know there are players like that who just grow grow on trees. He's never missed a game due to injury. He missed two games due to COVID this year, and he was asymptomatic of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean there there's still a lot of positives that Ivan Provorov brings to the table. And the other thing too, let's not forget that the first month of the season he wasn't out for a single single five on five goal against. So he got off to a great start even after Ellis went down. Yeah. There, there, you know the narrative is that. Uh, He's partner dependent. Maybe it, you know, maybe it's because he had that down, you know, kind of an inconsistent year last year. I mean, that is why an inconsistent year last year. And he said, you know, he's had a kind of a roller coaster ride this year. But even when, even when he was with Braun, you know, for several weeks after after Ellis was out, Ivan was still playing fine. 
think it was game twenty two. Yeah, when he gave up the first five on five, I think it was game twenty two when he was on the ice for a five on five goal. Right. So that's that's a quarter of a season. That's a quarter of a season. So you know you can put a run together, and it was it wasn't like the it wasn't like the Flyers are playing uh, airtight five you know five man units either. So he he was playing. He was playing. The only thing he wasn't doing at that point was scoring. Yeah. But his uh, but his game. So so that player is still there. That's still that's still this season. Yeah. You know. So you you can get you can get him back to that level. Yeah, and yeah, he also has the reliability and availability, which I think is really important because obviously the the injury bug has you know besieged this team, and uh, it's a guy that I look at and I go, okay, he may not be your top pairing guy right now because the minutes don't lie, Bill. Yep. Your your top pairing right now is Rasmus Ristolainen and Travis Sanheim. Yep, and let's talk about Sanheim because. I mean, he has been so much more active in the play, getting up the ice. I feel like multiple times a game I see him either carrying the puck up that left side to feed the middle or be up in position to be fed up that left side on a rush opportunity. How much of that is a byproduct of who he's playing with? Not to mention, we saw it in the Chicago game. We've seen it a little bit more this year, especially in the last 25 games. He seems to have a little more bite. Yeah. And I and I and you know I think it it took time for Ristolainen and, and uh, Sandheim to figure out how to play together. That that eventually clicked, yep. and since it's clicked, they've actually been really good together. You know that's that's been a bright spot, and a bright spot amongst amongst a whole bunch of L's in the standings. You know, but I think particularly since uh, mid December, I know Ristolainen missed a little bit of time with injury. But they've been they've been a really good pairing, and Sandheim individually has taken his game to to another level. He's he's jumping into the rush as you said with with a ton of confidence. Yeah, and I think he's it's also he's brimming. <laughs> yeah. And I and, and I do think that uh, you know I don't know. I mean I I, I think that the, the the two guys read off of one another pretty well. For example, I, th- I think Russell Lance been pretty good up ice too. Me too. You know, and it, that, that's a trust factor. So. You know, I, I think that it's been uh, – it's actually started to click. And, you know, who, I mean, given the trade deadline may be coming to an end soon, you know, just, just because of uh, trade considerations. But I, I think that, uh, you know, I, if, you, if you're voting for the Barry Ashby trophy, I mean, you know, maybe it's a little bit by default. But I, I think Sandheim has the inside track at this point. I really do. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I've been really impressed with his game, and it's – you know, starting to be recognized by people. And I think that's a good thing. And, you know, look, is he going to be here next year? I don't know. I I don't know, but I know he's, you know, helping his value both to this team on the ice when they play. And if he is to be moved in some kind of deal uh, where he'll have one year left after this, that takes him up to unrestricted free agency. Um, Bill, one of the things too, with this team and that game that took place against the Blackhawks was it came after the coach was, incredibly angry after the wild game and was still pretty pissed off for lack of a better term the day after I want to play this for you. This is kind of at the end uh, of his availability on Friday. And I want to play this clip for you. I featured it in a previous episode, but I want to get your reaction to what Mike Yo says right here. I do think that, you know, as a group, we all have to understand there's a difference between being a good teammate, a good guy. And, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, being a good teammate means you might have to go to your best friend and say, we need you to be better. 
and we need you to make that play at that time, um, you know, or, or pick them up, whatever the case is and challenge each other. And, and, you know, if somebody's slipping, maybe you don't allow yourself to slip. Maybe you pull them into the fight with you. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is us understanding that, that there can be a difference there. So I, I think that we've got a good group. I think we've got a lot of character and, uh, but we have to prove it right now. I love what he had to say. I know you yeah. did as well. We we texted. Yeah, we we texted. We texted a little bit about it. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I I think the quote about the difference between being a good teammate and a good guy is yeah. Every every player has to understand that. Really, that should you know, something similar that should be on the wall in the locker room because it's one hundred percent true. You know, I, I I've had conversations over the years with with Bill Clement, and that's one of his mantras. And he often refers back. He often refers back to Bob to Bobby Clark. And he said, you know, to be a good teammate, you have to be willing to have, you know, to to have a difficult conversation, to initiate a difficult conversation sometimes. And, you know, and sometimes sometimes just going to the group and saying, hey, I screwed up. I need to be better. You hold yourself to the same, if not a higher standard. But, you know, you don't, uh, you know, you, you, if if a guy is not pulling his weight, Someone has to go up to him and say just that. Hey, listen, you know, we need we need better from you. We need you. Yeah. Right. We we need you. And uh, you know, and I mean, sometimes sometimes there's the other. You pick a guy up. You you, you ask the coach to put him on your line. You know, yeah. that's a lead, you know leader. I, you know, Clark. That's why Clark was so respected as a leader. He he was good at it. He could get in a guy's face, and it was never personal. And it was you know, I mean, it was it was always it was always to make the team better, and. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, other players, and I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to say it's a generational thing because there are still guys who can do that, right? But, I, but I do think that that they, you know, I, I do think that those conversations have become harder for some guys over the years. Yeah, that they don't, they don't want to, you know, they don't want the other guy to think they're being thrown under the bus or that their feelings get hurt or, or whatever. Such as a Flyers thing, honestly. It's a, you know, I think you see that elsewhere in sports too. Yeah. Um, but I think, but I think those difficult conversations sometimes are necessary. Um, Chris Pronger could do it, and, he, and Wayne Simmons could do it too. Wayne Simmons could be the designated bad cop, I mean, and yet everybody knew that, uh, you know, he, he had their back, right? Yeah. And it was never, it was never for public consumption. It was just teammate to teammate, you know, man to man. And I, I think so. I think that that's a that's a very important concept that. Uh, that Mike Yo was emphasizing. And I agree with it. I think he's a hundred percent right. Yeah, I do too. And I, I'm a little bit old school in that regard. Like I don't have time to worry about your feelings here. We're here to be pros. We're here to win games. We're here to do our job. And sometimes, you know, you need sometimes like, I like what Mike said in the sense that if you notice someone slipping, don't slip, don't slip with them. You know, that yeah. slipping has become too contagious with this team, sure. you know, and, and one player slipping turns into three players, three players has turned into nine and it's a compounding effect. But if you know somebody slipping and you put something into it right away and you, and you have those conversations and sometimes the initial conversation isn't even, isn't even particularly terse, but you pull them into the fight. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you engage them back in it to not let the slip, continue or lengthen or become contagious and it seems like mike yo to me bill has really attacked the culture thing of of what's going on here 
And I will tell you that um, I had a text exchange with Mike after after that clip came out. I'm not going to tell people what I said to him and what he said to me. I will tell you, and I will tell you this, that he loves being here. He loves the city. He loves, you know, the organization. And of course he does because he wants to keep the job too. That's part of it. I get it. Um, but he's attacking something that I think maybe didn't get attacked in a couple other regimes. I mean, he mentioned, I'm the fourth guy here talking to you about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard in the inter- when you have the interim tag. I think that it is. I, I think that uh, if he does nothing else, and I mean, I, Mike is a realist too, right? I I think when you look at the the standing since his since he took you know since he stepped up and became the head coach, you know, sometimes you sometimes you have to sell it to the public too, right? And a lot of people would would, would you know I think there'd be a strong reaction against it honestly, but I don't think that's a reflection on Mike. I really don't. I, I think, I think it's the circumstance that, that, that uh, you know, he stepped into. And I, I think that if he accomplishes nothing else, it's to define what a winning attitude is like and define what a healthy locker room is like, you know, in, on, in, in a winning culture. Yeah. And, and if he can contribute something towards that, then it then it's a you know then it's a big accomplishment. It really is because this has come up over and over and over again, going back to uh, well, multi, multi, truly multiple regimes. It is truly multiple regimes. Uh, you know, you, even back even back in the, the latter days of uh, Peter Laviolette, stuff like that came up, yeah. right? And not, I mean, Lavi was Lavi was a tough coach and a very accomplished coach, but it seems to come up over and over and over again. So, if, if some positive steps can be made, it's not. And it's not that there's a single bad guy in the room or a single guy that doesn't care, right? But it, it, it's in how they interact. It's an approach. It's a, you know, it, it, it's an attitude, for lack of a better word. And yeah. and I think the team needs to, to readopt that attitude. So, you know, so when, when Mike was saying it, you know, you, you, you can't, you, know, you, you sit and you listen. But I found myself in my head kind of, kind of nodding along. You know, I don't, uh, no, nobody ever agrees 100% with every coaching decision, personnel, or in-game things, that's every coach ever, right? But in terms in terms of day-in and day-out approach to the job and, and how the passion that he brings, uh, I would like to see a whole team that brings similar passion, and that's the truth. Yeah, I will share one thing that I said in my exchange with him. I said, the big key is knowing who's in the fight there with every fiber of their being and who just says they want to be in it. I said, action speaks so much louder. Don't tell me you want to win. You have to do things the right way and show me every day. Yeah, that's that's the key. You can say words are veiled. You can say that you I want to win or I want to do this. Everybody wants to win. But are you willing to spill it and do what it takes every single day? Because in professional sports, you can't ever let up because the margin for error is not there for you to, to make up for it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, I love listening to Joe Watson talk about leadership. Oh, man. That's a guy who lived it. That that was, you know, Still does. That was quintessential leader. And his point is that the guys, the guys you want to go into battle with, obviously you'd like to have the most talent in the league, right? But if you don't, even if you don't, you you can beat teams that are better on paper if you have a room full of guys that hate to lose. I mean, truly. Hate to lose, you know that that uh, 
you know, a, a loss. I mean, I remember back to Robert Ash was a guy who hated to lose. Total computer. You know, you, yeah. you, you'd see him, it would it'd be like, you know, it would really be almost like a funeral, walking in the locker room if, if he lost that game. Yeah. You know, that was a, a true player who truly hated to lose. You also have to love to win, and which means that you go in and you have fun, right? Winning is fun. So, if, you know, if you're just a guy who's, who's always, you nitpick yourself, you can never enjoy winning, you burn out. And it's a long season. So if you have, you know, if you have guys in the room that, that hate to lose and love to win, you know, you have a team with the right attitude. Yeah. And you got everybody pulling on the rope in the same direction yeah, and, sure. and that, that becomes contagious. And, you know, is, is Mike, yo, look, I know a lot of people listen to this podcast or they read what you write or they hear what I say and they think, Oh, this is the organization giving them information to float it as a trial balloon. That's the narrative about you and I sometimes. Yeah. And I can assure you that Chuck Fletcher has not trial ballooned from Shinola with me or you. No. So with that said, is Mike Yo playing his way into the conversation with the way he's handling this? I think uh, it would really still a, still uphill, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a real uphill climb. I mean, you know, they've won so few games since the start of twenty twenty two, and you know, they're they're just you know they tend to they tend to be whole, not not totally wholesale changes, but that that's one of the that's one of the things that typically happens. That if you're if you have the interim tag and it's not taken off. You don't have an extension. You're only there for you know, you're only guaranteed through the end of that year. Usually, you you have to have a measurable, tangible degree of success, a turnaround to reach the playoffs, for example, yeah. right? Which obviously is not going to happen at this point. So, I mean, I, I think the odds are are quite slim, but I I would say that it's not because of the job that he's doing, and it's not because of he's it's not because I think of him as a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, I've I've been impressed by him. As a coach, um, his which is to I, say I, that I, you and I have questioned some of his decisions as well yeah. in usage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like the uh, like like Morgan Frost, for example. I yep. I would have liked to have seen it handled a little differently. I understand the uh, you know his rationale for it, but I thought, okay, you can work around that other ways if you want. Uh, you know, so if you want Broussard in the lineup, well, Broussard can play a wing, right? Or or okay, if you need, you know, if you're thin on centers, then you can move one of your uh, veteran forwards who has a little, you know, a, a little bit of scoring pedigree onto that line. Now, those are ways you can work on it. I, you know, and that, that's no offense to Jerry Mayhew and to, uh, you know, to Max Willman who, and those guys clicked with, with Frost in the, you know, the AHL and they, they brought up his, his, uh, you know, his pace of play. But I just thought that it, that's a player who's a lot of his confidence, like it or not, stems from his point production because that's the player he's always been. That's the player you ultimately want him to be. And to pick up his confidence. So I was saying sometimes if you want to get a player going, you know, maybe you put him with Giroux occasionally in a game. He, he, other than his other than his first nine games or so, he didn't see any time. So, so that's that's a decision that I disagreed with. Yeah. Right? There there have been other in-game things where uh I thought, okay, you know, you, you just got scored on or whatever. You need a so there were okay, so here's 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 another quick example. Um Flyers were down by a goal late. And they were about a shift away from, um, I think, I think Hart was in goal that game. Uh, a shift away from pulling the goalie to to make that final push. He sent the fourth line out for that shift, which to me was wasting time because that line was unlikely to score for you. You know, uh, and you're not looking for energy and you know you're not really looking for energy and to change around puck possession that way. You need a goal, however you get it. So that was a time where I, I might have 
disagree with it in game decisions, but but you can say that for any coach there's ever been. You're not going to agree with everything, but I but I, I like his approach. And when he makes his player assessments, it's very rare. You know, that you know, again, nothing's a hundred percent, but most of the time, uh, I not, you know again, I'm nodding my head, going, yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty much right on the mark. Yeah. So. Which is rare it's for us to get that and for the fans to be able to hear that directly yeah. from uh, the man making the, those decisions day in and day out right now, which is Mike Yo. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out for sure. Um, Bill, the week coming up. Um, so the Flyers are going to wrap up this eight-game homestand coming up tomorrow. They're going to wrap it up against the Vegas Gold Knights, who are all of a sudden a bit of a dogfight. And, uh, you know, without Mark Stone, it's been pretty detrimental to that team. Uh, but they're going to wrap up the homestand. And they're going to head out for two really tough games. Florida and Carolina on the road. Um, looking ahead, you know, do we see Ratcliffe coming back in? Um, do we see uh, some other changes in the lineup? Uh, are you anticipating anything uh, of note coming up? Uh, Morgan Frost being recalled? What are we looking at? Uh, I don't think Frost is going to imminently be recalled. I think that would be after the trade deadline. Although you have, uh, you know, you have a limited number of calls. People forget that sometimes. Yeah. But you do have emergency call-ups. But I, you know, but you have a limited number of call-ups you can make after the trade deadline. So I think you'll see, you know, maybe a couple moves just before or, or or whatever. But you know, you also want guys. Although the the Phantoms didn't help their playoff chances, unfortunately, this past week, they were they were right in a dogfight. Actually, a good week this week would have put them right there. You know, because six teams make the uh, playoffs out of their division. But at, at any rate, um, I I don't think there'll be imminently any major line changes. I do think. After the deadline, you know, see who who goes or whatever. I think that that's more likely when you'll start seeing some players come up and they'll take take an extended look and in different roles. Um, but I think I think it's possible that Isaac Ratcliffe comes back up again. Um, you know, he he had a little bit of a dip after uh, his, his final couple of games. Took a couple of bad penalties and then got a little shell shock. Not shell shock sounds the right word, but a little timid. A little afraid of taking other pay, and he can't because you, have, you, know, you can't be afraid to break eggs, right? You yeah. couldn't keep taking penalties either, but then he then he got a little bit tentative and got away from the physical game that you need him to play. And he one of the good things this week of the Phantoms is he he stepped right back to the age level and went right back to the way he was playing that got him called up in the first place. So possibly, possibly so, but uh, I don't I don't think you know I don't think anything is going to be done for its own sake. I think it'll be based on injuries and how the team plays. What'd you think of Hayes' return? Because he talked after the game and that he felt like he could do things that in that game that he hasn't felt like he could do at any point this season. So what'd you think of Hayes? Yeah, it return? showed. It showed, I thought. Um, I agree. He moved it, way better. Yeah. Never going to be a speedster, of course, but he was skating skating much easier, much more freely. It didn't, it didn't look as labored by any means. And I actually... Because I, I, you know, I have to, I have to confess that I was very skeptical a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago. They said, "Oh, well, Kevin's going to really work to come back." It's fifty-fifty, and I was thinking, "Well, if it's fifty-fifty, shut him down for the season." Yeah. But when Hayes explained it, that it's not another tear or whatever, it was, it was, the, it was an infection. Yeah. And uh, you know, the good news was that uh, after the clean out and the the treatments, the infection is largely cleared, and he feels a whole heck of a lot better. And he looks a lot better. He looked a lot better on the ice. So yeah. as long as, you know, that, that was an encouraging sign too. Hopefully, you know, hopefully the, uh, he's over the, over the hump with it and, uh, you know, better things to come. That, that would be a positive too. 
We could get, if we could get back the Kevin Hayes that was there two seasons ago physically. So that, that would be uh, a positive, but it, it promising first signs. And you, you probably won't get there this season to that level, but it opens the door for him to start next season there, which right. could be far more meaningful. Um, it looks like uh, Ryan Ellis headed for surgery and going to be shut down. Yeah, not a unfortunately not a surprise at all because he hasn't really, he hasn't skated. I mean, I get I get that they wanted to try everything short of surgery, as you can see with Kevin Hayes, right? Uh, they're not a hundred percent sure that the infection was caused by the first surgery, but it might have been. It, you know, there, there's a lot of you know there nothing. There's no guarantees with surgery. There's drawbacks to it as well. So, you know, you, you try conservative therapies. You try you know, exercising a different way. You try, you try different things. And the thing is, is that it's still early enough. You know, we're, we're all just at the early March here. You know, there, there's enough time to fully recuperate and be ready for next season. So, you know, that's a guy, that's a guy who you'll be crossing your fingers on until he shows he can stay healthy. But, you know, yeah, it's not a surprise that it's heading. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at, say, a, a third week of March surgery and a three month recovery, you're looking to, to April, May, then June. Players begin their, usually begin their, their off season program on the ice somewhere around mid July. Depending on the player, Provorov doesn't ever get off the ice. And other players, you know, will wait until, you know, first week of August. But that's generally speaking, you have enough time to prepare, which would be a good thing. All right, Bill, as always, great stuff. This was awesome. Uh, always a ton to get into. And we're just now. Two, two weeks away, two calendar weeks away from trade deadline, which will be coming up on the 21st. We're here on the 7th of March on a Monday, and the trade deadline will be on Monday the 21st. So we'll lead get into that in a subsequent episode. Thanks for doing this as always. Read Bill's work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you coming up tomorrow. We'll preview Flyers Vegas Golden Knights on a brand-new episode of Flyers Daily. Have a great Monday. Have a great Monday.